I wonder how you value perspective, because perspective is a key thing. Perspective is a good thing to have, a clear perspective. We all want to have a good perspective upon the realities of our lives, because when you don't, when you have a misconception about something, you can look a bit silly if it's something minor. And as children, we all know what it's like to have misconceptions. We have all had moments where we thought certain things were true, and then we found out those things weren't true. And we've believed these things. And this week, I did a bit of research into some things that people, as children, used to think were real and true. One was this. I thought drinking and driving meant you couldn't drink anything, even water. Fair enough. This is one of my favorites. When people were shot on TV, I thought that they were volunteers who wanted to die for the show. (laughs) I used to think that people in the TV could see me, and I refused to get changed in front of it. (laughs) When my mum told me she was an organ donor, I understood that to mean the government could come to our house at any time, kill my mum, and harvest her organs for any reason. I was horrified for months. I thought all Asian people knew Kung Fu. I was afraid of Asians until I was 10 or so. I thought that smokestacks were cloud-making machines. Kids are stupid, but this is the reality. We, we think we know things. We see something and we think, surely that's the way in which it works. And like children, we can often have misconceptions. And why is that important for us? Because when we come to Genesis 6 and 7, this well-known story, we can have many kinds of misconceptions. We can think we know it. For many of us, we know the idea of Noah and the flood, and it's a part of our growing up. Even if you didn't go in church or weren't growing up in church, you can think you you know the basics of this story. And yet that is the problem. It can be just a story. A story for children as they grow up. A nice little cute story. Yet the reality is this is an actual event that happened within human history. And it isn't a story that you would want to tell your children. Because it's really horrific. It is one of the most devastating points in human history. It's not one of these nice stories. It is filled with death, sin, and evil. If we truly understand what's happening all those years ago... We wouldn't be rushing to tell our children these stories before bedtime because it would give them nightmares. For us, we need to correct our misconceptions and there are three things that I want to draw out through this narrative. The weight of human sin, the reality of God's judgment, and the beauty of His mercy. The weight of human sin. For the past few weeks, we have been going through the opening chapters of Genesis, the beginning of all things. And for the past number of weeks, we've been seeing the consequence that happens in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, there is this event that is known as the fall, the point where people choose to go against God. And it causes a fracture that splits through all of creation. The fall brings such destruction and devastation to all that was good. But the reality is, sin itself, there is not an end to it. 
Humanity continues to grow in the rebellion to God. This is what we're seeing in these opening chapters. Their wickedness is going from strength to strength. God himself reveals this as he looks down on his creation in this passage. Look at verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. There is no hiding the sinfulness of man. It's so apparent. And the Lord God is the one who sees it all. The image of the Creator God gazing upon His creation, witnessing their utter rebellion to Him. You see, sin is doing what sin has always done. Sin deconstructs what is good and tarnishes it. That's exactly what we're seeing through this passage. Chapter 6 begins with this proclamation. Man began to multiply on the face of the land. And there is an echo back to the opening chapters of Genesis. This beautiful design for man to multiply. God's desire for the earth to be filled with image bearers of him. Living in relationship with him. And yet here in Genesis 6, man has fallen so far from God. They are so deep in their sin. Instead of multiplication being a sign of beauty. A sign of God's blessing. It is a sign of humans' rebellion, growth in their sin. As man multiplies, so does the sin of man. The tragedy of sin warping the very blessings of God. It's sin taking a beautiful design of multiplication, and instead of a picture of God's intended purpose, there is a picture of the destructive nature of sin itself. We can sit here and feel, surely it's not that bad. Surely it's not as bad as we think. And sadly, we enjoy to do that. In our lives, we like to downplay the seriousness of human sin, the seriousness of our sin. But look down at how God describes the impact of sin. Verse 12, God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. That's the result of sin. It spreads like a plague to every inch of creation, destroying, killing, warping. You see, sin is not just isolated to humans here. No, it's infecting all of creation. As God casts his judgment, he, he casts it over all of creation, exposing the penetrating nature of sin itself. That there is not one part of creation that is not marred by sin. All humans, all animals, the very earth itself is corrupted by sin. Verse 7, he says, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. Verse 13, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The Lord God in his judgment of sin is revealing the very nature of sin, infecting everything in creation. Yet as people, we can so often see the brokenness, see the suffering and injustice around us and feel and blame it on God as being unloving. We have this bent perspective on our world. Many people ask the question about the God of the Bible. They, they say the God of the Bible is clearly not loving because of the suffering in the world. They label him, the God of the Bible, as cruel, as a God who is absent from his creation. 
Do you see how big a misconception that is? To view our world like that, to view the Lord God Almighty like that is evil. All suffering, all brokenness, all evil has a root cause and that is sin. It is the rebellion against God. That is humanity believing we know best. We know what is best. And the reason people love to seek to blame God is the issue of, for the issue of suffering is the same issue we see here. That these people are utterly blind to their sin. They are not shameful. They are not feeling guilty of their sin. But instead they're reveling in their sin. It is not a people feeling bad in how they're living. They are doing what they want and they do not care. Sin is being exposed in these chapters, but people are not the ones to expose it. God is. When people wonder about suffering, when people wonder about brokenness, about the world and how evil things can be, they don't want to look at themselves. When you wonder about brokenness in your life, when you wonder about the sin and the evil around you, you don't want to look at yourself. We want to believe the lie that says, I am good. I am not a bad person. If that's your default position, can I gently and lovingly say, you don't know your own heart. All sin is not down to you, but you have a part to play just as I do. The brokenness and the evil in our world. The people here in Noah's day are, are running towards sexual immorality and violence. Look at verse 2. They took as their wives any they chose. This may be subtle in the text, but it's revealing the continued deconstruction of God's beautiful design. Just like Lamech in chapter 4 a few weeks back, they choose to construct marriage in their way how they think, to meet their sexual desires in the way they want them met. The idea of sexual freedom is not a new phenomenon, but rather it is as old as sin itself, warping the good gift of marriage for self-gain. It is utterly perverse. These two chapters, people are wallowing in every sort of sin unashamed, unbothered by the rejection of God. And it's not just sexual immorality. Acts of violence are everywhere. Verse 11, the earth is filled with violence. This passage, we're looking into the other depth of human sin, not just viewing it as this little insignificant thing, but rather infecting everything. And we can think through how this would be shaping the world because sexual immorality would have been everywhere. Violence was just a normative. Sin is not even recognized. People's moral compasses are utterly bent. It is shocking, but the reality is we don't have to look just back to Noah's day. If we look around us, we see this. Our world is devastated daily by the consequences of sin. Your life, my life, is devastated daily by the consequences of sin. When we consider this event, we can think that this is the pinnacle 
of human depravity and sin, but it is not the case. The sin in this passage is the sin in our world today. They are both the same and the root is the same. God says this and exposes this in verse 5. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The source of human sin has always been the same. The human heart. The heart of our issue is sin, but our hearts from the very first breath we take are sinful. We like to assume we're not bad. But the reality is I know that I can stand before you and say the more I grow in age, the more I see the depth of my brokenness and my sin. The more I feel that, the feel the weight of my brokenness, feel the weight of my sin. And that's not because I think I'm growing in my sin. I believe by God's grace in, his, in my life that he is working in me and growing me in holiness but rather he is exposing more and more the depth of my brokenness, the depth of my sin, and my utter need of him. The flood, though catastrophic, did not change the reality of the depravity of our hearts. Because when God promises never to flood the earth again, in Genesis 8, 21, just a few chapters along, he says this, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Even after this event, sin is still there. This week, as I've been preparing, as I've been thinking through this, it has felt heavy upon me, drilling into these chapters, trying to expose the depth of our sinful nature. Because I long for us to actually realize this brokenness, realize this sin, realize where it comes from. Because it is heartbreaking, the devastating effect sin has on our world today. We continue to reveal wickedness and utter corruption. Eight facts I want to share about our world today. The trafficking of women and children is the world's fastest growing crime. The sex trafficking industry pulls in an estimated $99 billion each year. Violence accounts for 1.4 million deaths each year. More than 50% of trafficking victims are sexually exploited. The most common form of human trafficking is sexual exploitation. 90% of deaths due to violence happen in low- and middle-income countries. In 2017, an estimated one out of seven endangered runaways reported to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children were likely child sex trafficking victims. There are an estimated 250,000 child soldiers in the world today In at least 20 countries, about 40% of child soldiers are girls who are often used as sex slaves and taken as wives by male fighters. This is our world. And this should disgust us. That this is a window into who we are as people. This is the depth of our sin and it is not just a problem in Noah's day. 
It is a problem here today for us. It continues to deconstruct and destroy God's creation, God's design. And as Christians, we should respond. We should know that there is only one way that we can respond to such things. Joining the Lord God in His grief. It is horrific, the depth of sin all around us. And we're not immune. We feel the weight of sin upon our lives regularly. But the fact is, all sin is headed towards the reality of God's judgment. Which should give us a healthy fear, but also a thankfulness that justice will reign. For those 250,000 child soldiers, justice will reign. The Lord God will see His righteous judgment carried out as He does in Noah's day. He will not just ignore or dismiss the utter corruption of human rebellion. Yet in the midst of it, there is something striking. Look at verse 6. The Lord God regretted that He had made man on the earth and it grieved Him to His heart. We need to be careful and understand that this is not the Lord God thinking, oh no, what have I done? I've made a mistake. No, the Lord God does not make mistakes, but it is the Lord God revealing His heart of grief at the sin of humanity. How far we have fallen. In the face of such evil and rejection, the Lord God will judge, but it is not with joy and thankfulness. He isn't just there thinking, oh, wait till I show them for all the rejection, all the times in which they spout on my face and rejected my love and my care for them. Let me show them what they have done. I can't wait to judge them. No, He judges with grief. The Lord God sees His creation, looks at what He has made, all He has made. They continue to fall from Him, and it brings Him grief. God has never been a God who just delights in showing and bringing His judgment upon people. That is not who He is. He will judge, but He is cut to the heart at what He sees. 2 Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. How thankful should we be how the Lord God is so unlike us, so different to us. Because the reality is, I do not treat people how the Lord treats people who offend Him. Sadly, there are many times in my life where my sinful nature is revealed. One is found when I am queuing. This is a very common thing. Maybe you've tried it sometime. You line up and it's simple. You queue. But there are some people, maybe in this room, not looking at people, who struggle with this concept of cues. They think, I'll just come in and just skip everyone. That's what they do. And this can happen in a shop. It can happen in an airport. It can happen waiting for a ride at the amusement park, public toilets, or if you're American, restrooms. And they just dart in. And they think, I can do this. And how do I react? Oh, no, they didn't. They, how dare they do that to me? How dare they treat me like that? I hope they fall down that toilet. I hope there's an ejection seat on their plane seat. That's what I hope. 
See, our natural reaction is so often to believe that I deserve better and I want them to pay. Yet, the Lord God who created everything, the one who delights in Genesis 1 and 2 as Father, Son, and Spirit brings everything into being, the Lord God who makes everything to be good, the one who places beauty and order, the one who creates humankind in their likeness and image, meeting their every need, not allowing Adam to be alone, but bringing him Eve, a fit helper, watching and delighting as the Father delights over Adam and Eve, joining in the beauty of marriage, sharing in beautiful intimacy without shame and brokenness giving purpose and dominion, giving good food to eat, constructive work to pursue, setting everything in place for human flourishing and life. And he is the one that gazes now on his creation, seeing the rebellion and the sin of those he created. And he knows he has to exert his righteous judgment. But he is not delighting in it as we might delight when someone does something against us and mucks up. But he is grieving it. For you and I, we should more and more long for our response to sin to be that of our Heavenly Father. We should look at our sin and the sin around us and and feel utter grief. Grief at the evil and the depravity of the human heart, at our heart. Grief at what will happen to so many people if they do not turn in faith and repentance. Because if we seek to lessen the depth of sin, we are deceiving ourselves. The Lord God is the one who views all, all, and he will have his judgment, but it will be with grief. The horror of judgment is balanced with the horror of human rebellion. It is never unfair for the Lord to judge. He is the rightful judge of his creation. Verse 13 says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Here, as he casts his judgment over his creation, he shows who has ultimate power and authority. These chapters full of sin and the effects of sin, and yet sin is not the determining factor. God himself is. God determines what will happen. God declares his will for his creation. Reality pointing to the fact that he is the one with authority. People declare their own independence all the time. We like to think we're in control, and yet that is laughable. When you live your life thinking you are in control, you are so blind to the reality. We have no clue what will happen once we leave this building. No clue. The Lord God holds all authority, all power. His judgment reveals this. It reveals sin for what sin is and declares the consequences. God declares the way in which he'll deal with this sin and we see the fulfillment of his promise. Look through these chapters at the hand of God. If you want to trace with me, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great. Verse 7, I will blot out man. Verse 13, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. I will destroy them with the earth. 
Verse 17, I will bring a flood of waters. Chapter 7, verse 4, I will send rain on the earth. Every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. Verse 20, the waters prevailed above the mountains on the earth. Birds, livestock, beets, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth. And all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing. The weight of human sin met by the reality of God's judgment. The reality that there is no escaping His righteous judgment. He will not and cannot allow it. Sin will be punished. He is patient, but judgment is coming. And you live here, as we live here, we need to live with a clear perspective. Not completely blind to what is coming. We should have a right fear of the Lord and the consequences of sin. The God of the Bible, though He grieves to bring judgment, will not and cannot stand by and watch. He sees and He will act. The image of the reality of this flood is just a glimpse of the terror of what awaits people in this world, in this city, right here, right now, today. How many people are headed towards an eternal reality of God's judgment? Just like the people in Noah's day, judgment will come and they will not be ready Matthew 24 says this, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. That should terrify us. If you're not a believer here today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life is but a moment. The Lord God, your Creator, will not accept your rejection of Him. Your life is so precious. It has been made in the image of the Creator God. There is a day coming when the Lord will no longer withhold His judgment. And the question is, where will you be? Will you be inside or outside of the ark? Will you be in relationship with God, trusting in His salvation? Or will you reject it? Christian here today, grieve for this city. Pray with vigor for this city. Consider Christ weeping over Jerusalem, seeing their utter sin and rejection of Him, longing for them to see Him, to know their need of Him. Don't mess around when you're thinking about your work colleagues beside you who do not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and are destined to a worse judgment than the flood itself. Those classmates, those teammates, those neighbors, those family members, those friends. Because the reality is, we do not need to face judgment. That is the beauty here. Because the beauty of His mercy is clear. Verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. 
in the midst of people sinning and rebelling, God sees Noah. A man who finds favor in his eyes. God views his creation, seeing the depth of human sin, yet he continues to show and display his faithfulness, his mercy and grace. Because Noah is not better than other people around him. He has the same issue. He is not superior, but he has faith. Hebrews 11 records and speaks about Noah's faith. By faith, being warned by God's concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. As we have dwelt on the depth of human sin, the reality of God's judgment, we should long to know His mercy. A mercy so glorious and beautiful. As sin rages in His creation, deconstructing all He has created, the Lord God continues to show His faithfulness. His plans and purpose will win out. There is no doubt what he will do. Like Noah, we need to make a call. We need to put our faith in the Lord or reject him. As Noah spent time building and working and constructing the ark, obeying the Lord, there would have been moments of struggle, moments of doubt, and yet he remains trusting and having his faith in the Lord. His utter dependence is in the mercy of the Lord. Mercy so beautiful that it can take the weight of sin of death. Mercy so beautiful that it can take the weight of judgment. This is the beauty of God's mercy toward us. From Adam to Seth, from Seth to Noah, the Lord God is going to display His faithfulness. And mercy in the face of utter rebellion. Noah clings to the promise of the Lord in verse 18. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. Both a command and an invitation. The sweetness of this ringing in our ears that the Lord makes a way of salvation. A way to reveal the glory of His mercy to Noah. As we gaze back, Here in 2019, this side of the cross, we need to know there is no more glorious view of God's mercy towards us than at the cross of Jesus Christ. Where the full weight of all human sin and rebellion was laid on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Where the full reality of God's righteous judgment was poured out upon His only Son. So that by faith, he might in Christ Jesus call many more to himself. Displaying the depth, breadth, and length of his mercy toward us in Christ Jesus. Don't mess around. Our lives are not long. The reality is we should cling to the mercy in which Jesus Christ has offered. His grace towards us. Proclaim him to others, those who are facing a judgment that is far worse. 
because there will be a day coming. There is a day coming when the Lord Jesus will return. And on that day, there will be weeping and there will be rejoicing. And our hearts should long to both rejoice, but also long to see others rejoicing with us. Long to see others knowing who Jesus is and what He has done for us. His mercy displayed. Live with that view in mind.